We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee, and rumor has it he has a take. So we are going to discuss his take. I don't know what it is. I said, hey, don't tell me what the take is. We'll discuss it live on the pod. And we'll get into that. We'll get into Frank Gore saying that he is going to retire and kind of what that means. So let's dive in. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. There's nothing better that you can say to me as we kind of, because our, our show prep involves a little bit of texting here and there. And, uh, then we, then we just kind of talk it out before, before we do the pod, there's nothing better to me than when you say, I have a take. Yeah. So because it, you don't it say that willy nilly, you're not a, you're not a knee jerk take guy. You've thought about this. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely not a knee jerk take guy. And maybe this is, this is my, um, maybe this is my take is sort of not knee jerk. Maybe it's kind of anti-knee jerk. Um, Are you ready? I'm buckled in. The 49ers are loaded. They're really good. Like, they're fine. (laughs) Like, so I was thinking about the (laughs) roster. I was like, how how do we talk about, you know, this offseason and and try it like in ways that are different than what we've been doing and talking about, oh, they need a fortified cornerback and, you know, they, they might have issues along the interior of the offensive line and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, et cetera, et cetera you look at this roster and it's really good. Right. And like, you can look at how many top five guys they have at certain positions, right? Like you could argue the 49ers have top five, top three, top two guys at like defensive end, tight end linebacker, left tackle and Debo Samuel, depending on how you feel about the group of receivers in the NFL at any given time. Right. And very quietly, Elijah Mitchell was the eighth leading rusher in the NFL last year playing 12 games. Right. And so, again, if you feel good about Kyle Shanahan, then you're like, all right, they have an elite roster, a very good coach, and are coming off two deep playoff runs in the last three seasons. 
The only time they didn't was 2020, which was a super strange year when they lost just about everybody to injury on top of dealing with the pandemic and everything else. So as much hand-wringing that has been going on about where the 49ers are this offseason, it's like, man, they're still really good, right? And, And they can go basically as well as they play which is more about them executing and, and playing at a high level than um, than like roster deficiencies. Right. Like I, I don't. Right. So so taking a step back and thinking about all the things that, that we talk about and, and and criticize the team for, it's like, well, if they go into the season thinking that if they get good quarterback play, they could potentially be in the Super Bowl mix. I think they're right. And they're not they're not necessarily doing the wrong thing by avoiding upsetting the apple cart when it comes to making drastic roster decisions, right? So it's not, it's not exactly like a super hot take, but it's just like, let's take a step back and remember that this team is good and to, to you know, spend so much time talking about, and, and we do it, like I, I don't, you know, I, we're guilty as charged or I'm guilty as charged, but like talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, one way or another, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be on the team. And so mm-hmm. whether or not we want to talk about the efficiency of, the way they're using their cap space or their reluctance to just cut him because they want to get a fourth or fifth round pick for him at some point, whatever, like ultimately it's, it's kind of nitpicking, but I, you know, I understand this is, this is what we do. And when you record a podcast two or three times a week, like this is the stuff that we, that we have to do, but like taking a step back, particularly compared to where this roster was in like 2015, 2016, 2017, even 2018, like the 49ers should, and I think do feel very good about where they're at. And that doesn't, they're, they're not necessarily in a spot where they have to go out and be ultra aggressive in free agency. And if they lock up Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel, like we all assume they will um, and do it in a way that's not destroying their cap situation in the future, which I don't think they will because the cap is going to spike pretty substantially they're in a very good spot. So as long as they draft, continue to draft well, pay the right guys, I think they're going to be in this good spot for a long time. And ultimately, that that's dependent on, you know, Trey Lance, of course, which is really right. the the big thing for the 49ers is doing everything they can to develop Trey Lance. That's my take. I'm I'm of the mind that having good players is better than having not good players. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you. That's a take I've developed. Um, so I understand, so I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to come across like I'm pooing the idea that like, oh, the 49ers would be better if they had Chandler Jones or Allen Robinson or, or, you know, pick a big name, JC Jackson, like, yes, they would, they would definitely be better, but this front office has never been the type of front office. Like they don't operate the way the Rams do. They don't, they don't do that. And so I understand the, the consternation as the Rams who just won the Super Bowl and beat you in the NFC championship game are losing Von Miller, but signing Bobby Wagner and signing Allen Robinson, but they lost Odell Beckham Jr. They lost Von Miller. Like they're losing players as well. The 49ers have just drafted well enough. And got Trent Williams for a bargain for a fifth round pick in the 2020 draft and a third round pick in the 2021 draft. Like they, 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 for the most part, drafted the star players. They didn't need 
to go out and sign them. So when you have five, six guys who are the best at their position, among the best at their position, that it's you're good. Like you're 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 set. Now, how do they fill out the margins? That's what's going to matter. And that's why the Traverius Ward signing to me is a really significant move for them this offseason. He is a bona fide starting <laughs> bona fide. He is a quality starting NFL cornerback to add to Emmanuel Mosley and Ambry Thomas, who one of those two will emerge as the other starting cornerback, probably Emmanuel Mosley. And then they have some options on what to do with Ambry Thomas, whether they move uh, Mosley to the slot or whether they draft in their corner, whatever. Like there aren't a ton of holes on this roster outside the offensive line. That's the kind of elephant in the room here. But when you're stacking the Niners roster up against every other roster, if they're getting good, good, average to good quarterback play from Trey Lance, like they're going to be in the mix. Yeah. And that's absolutely. if he's, if he's average to good in year one. Absolutely. And that's really what I sort of, you know, generated this take off of was just looking at the roster. Like, you know, there are some years where you go in and you're like, well, we don't know who's going to, who's going to start at this position, that position, this other position. It's like with the exception of maybe left guard and strong safety, Every every spot seems set with an option that you're like, all right, this guy's not going to be the reason we necessarily lose a bunch of games, right? Like you obviously would prefer to have Lakin Tomlinson over Colton McKivitz or Aaron Banks or Jalen Moore or whatever, but is the drop off at guard really going to be the difference between a successful season and an unsuccessful season for the 49ers? I tend not to think so, right? Like I think the 49ers some one way or another will be able to get replacement level play at the left guard spot. And if one of these guys develops into a plus level starter, then you're still cooking with gas like the team has been right. And then you could make a similar argument about right guard and that, you know, those same names I mentioned, but now Daniel Brunskill is, is he going to be able to, to hold off the competition there or the 49ers going to potentially draft somebody um, that could unseat him. But again, we're talking about the guard spots, which are probably the least important of all 22 starters that you have, right? When we really think about each individual position, the least valuable on the field, offense or defense, is probably offensive guard, particularly if you have good players at center and tackle, which we think the 49ers do, depending on how Mike McGlinchey comes back from his injury. And, and obviously that's sort of an unknown but it sounds like the 49ers are optimistic about that, right? And when mm -hmm. McClinchy's healthy and playing, you know, he's at worst, he's a league average tackle at best. He's a, a huge plus in the running game and somebody that you wish would be a little bit better in the passing game, right? But ultimately, right. he's Mike McGlinchy is not a disaster, right? He's not, he's not the reason that the 49ers didn't win, uh, you know, the Super Bowl two years ago. So, mm -hmm. like... And then uh, on the defensive side, you can go through the the starting 11 or the projected 11. You could say, all right, losing K1 Williams in the nickel spot is pretty important. But if you're replacing him with Emmanuel Mosley, is that going to be a drastic loss? And yes, there's going to be a transition for Mosley from the outside to the inside. But you remember when he first got to the 49ers as an undrafted free agent a few years ago, he was playing mm -hmm. nickel corner. And that was... That was the position they they first started working him out in, and he sort of moved to the outside as a necessity and then took off from there. 
So if the plan is to move Emmanuel Mosley inside and then you play Ambry Thomas and Shavarius Ward on the outside, I don't think there's going to be that much of a drop-off from K1 Williams. And you can look at strong safety and say, all right, Joukowsky Tart is a free agent. Um, When healthy, Tart is a pretty solid player, but I don't think he's anybody that the 49ers absolutely can't live without, right? So you have Talanoa Hufanga, who showed some good signs, particularly on special teams. And if you don't feel good enough about him to start, then you could still bring in, um, you know, a, a draft pick, maybe a third round pick that could compete. Tavarius Moore. Yeah. And you have Tavarius Moore. Right. That's a good point. If Tavarius Moore is healthy, then maybe you're starting safeties again or Jimmy Ward and Tavarius Moore. And then you're in a pretty good spot. Right. Um, for, from the secondary perspective. So like the, the, the point here is like as much hand wringing as has been done about the 49ers roster throughout the offseason. It doesn't have a lot of holes. It has a lot of high level talent. And if you, if you throw some draft picks at a couple positions, then you do feel pretty good about the depth that you have. And that's not to say that the roster is perfect. And obviously, you know, we've talked about the Jimmy Garoppolo situation and nauseam, and maybe they could have handled that a little bit differently and altered the, the assets or at least the cap space that they have. But ultimately when looking at this thing, I would put the 49ers roster up with anybody else in the NFC. That's kind of, so this follows a little bit along the lines of what I was saying going into the NFC championship, because going into that game, the talk was like, well, the Rams, I'm picking the Rams just because they have a better roster. And it was like, it's that much better that you're just going to pick them because, and I posited at the time, if you swap the quarterbacks, we're talking about how the Niners have the better roster. Even if the Rams had the best two players in the game, in in Aaron Donald and and Cooper Cup, the talk is all the stuff the Niners have done with Aziz Alshire, the undrafted free agent who who became a starter. Um, it's oh Samson Ebukam, really good offseason signing, really smart offseason signing to get Arden Key. Look at how look how brilliant the Niners front office is, and it's all because of the quarterback. Like that's that's something that. I think has gotten skewed a little bit in how we evaluate football because the quarterback is so important. But I think so many things the Niners did last year with their roster and maybe even this offseason have gotten overlooked because the quarterback play hasn't been good enough. And so the opportunity to talk about it just hasn't been there. Is it, does that, am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Like the, the, the quarterback okay. play is ultimately the biggest thing. I think I was looking at you sideways because we're having a little bit of connection issues here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're a hundred percent right in that the most important thing for the 49ers this off season is to get improved play from their quarterback. And I think, I think they can with Trey Lance because even if he isn't as efficient as Jimmy Garoppolo, or even if he doesn't run the offense as well as Jimmy Garoppolo, simply because he doesn't have the same experience level, I think it's very possible that his athleticism, his skill set, and the ability to be more diverse in the way you scheme up your offense can give the 49ers a big advantage that they didn't have last year when the passing game is pretty limited to you know, within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage and over the middle of the field, for the most part, when Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback on top of his propensity to turn the ball over. Right. And so just by Trey Lance being able to make plays with his legs, either by design or off schedule, 
um, being able to scramble for a, a first down conversion um, on third and six is something that you never really had with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Being able to have at least in factor him into the running game is something you couldn't do with Jimmy Garoppolo. And you're still putting Trey Lance into an offense with, like we said, one of the best tight ends in the league in George Kittle, one of the best receivers in the league in Debo Samuel, certainly one of the best running games by design uh, with Kyle Shanahan at the helm. Uh, one of the best left tackles in the league in Trent Williams, the all-decade center from, from last decade, Alex Mack, who's obviously way up there if he does come back. Um, a very good running back in Elijah Mitchell. And then you still have Brandon Ayuk, who got better as last year went, entering his third season. This could be a, a you know pretty significant season for Brandon Ayuk in terms of his development. And if he does take that next step, then you're looking at a really good array of weapons with a very good offensive play caller and designer and Kyle Shanahan. So like a a young quarterback is sort of optimized to step in and play well pretty quickly. And we've seen it happen throughout the league, especially with a lot of the young star quarterbacks in the league when they play and they're in a good situation, they tend to play pretty well. So if you believe in Trey Lance, like the 49ers seem to, then that upgrade that they need to make at quarterback that could get them over the top, that could be there for them. Um, And that could be the difference between them having a a successful season and not after, like you said, we went into the NFC title game saying, well, the rosters are pretty equal. If you just look at, um, if you just look at all 22 guys, but the difference, the big advantage that the Rams had was at quarterback. And if you can narrow that gap with Trey Lance, as opposed to what Jimmy Garoppolo offered against Matthew Stafford, then you are potentially in a spot where you could say, man, maybe we're not that far off from from achieving our goals after all. Yeah, it's kind of been the entire thing. Like since they drafted Trey Lance, every discussion about the 49ers present and future was tinged with, is that the right, tinged with? There was this, 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 this the Trey Lance aspect just hung over every bit of that conversation because it's like, okay, this free agency move, this draft pick, this team need, it's like, okay, yeah, but all of that is whatever if Trey Lance is awesome. Like if if Lance winds up being the quarterback they think he is, nobody's nobody cares anymore that the Niners didn't go sign Chandler Jones. Or a, a bigger name corner or pick a pick a top free agent and it's that was the case in the in the draft too like what did the rest of the draft look like oh there Aaron Banks was a miss and Tracer might be a miss well it doesn't really matter if Trey Lance is good and it also helps that um, Elijah Mitchell was really good last year but Trey Lance is what matters in all of this more than anything and you can nitpick and say that they're not putting him in the best position to succeed because of what they did along the offensive line or what they didn't do along the offensive line in free agency. But I don't think that I don't think that we're going to look back on this season, regardless of how it ends, and go, man, you know what? The Niners lost this season because of how they handled free agency. Yeah, and again, it comes down to value, right? Like, yeah, is Lake and Tomlinson worth thirteen million dollars a year? Probably not to the 49ers, but. Sure, he is to the Jets, mm-hmm. right? But like you, you have to be smart in the way you invest in certain positions, and it's the same thing that goes with DJ Jones. And and we've said that 
Yep. Um, that, you know, you have a price that you're willing to pay. And then if those guys exceed those prices elsewhere, then you let them go. And that's ultimately what the 49ers did. And yeah, you're losing something there, but I don't think either of those guys are irreplaceable. So these are the type of turn. These are the type of moves, the type of roster turnover that happens every single off season. And what's interesting to me, and I was talking, you know, I was talking with, with Tracy Sandler on, on her show um today which you should go check out but like we always say like oh man this is this is the most one of the most important drafts in team history and like this is the most important draft of you know this general manager's tenure or regime or whatever i feel the exact opposite this year right like the draft's important you you would love to find some starting quality players somewhere in this draft but like even if they don't I don't think it, ultimately this draft is going to impact this roster all that much because I don't think it would kill the 49ers if they if guys they drafted in the second, third round weren't starters from year one because they have a lot of guys who can start already and you feel okay about. Maybe with the exception of, you know, Aaron Banks, who's a large question mark, but even still, like I feel pretty good about Jalen Moore if Jalen Moore has to play left guard. And right. then, you know, Daniel Brunskill started at right guard for the last couple of years. Like that, those are playable players. So right. Like, yeah, would you like to upgrade that? Oh, those spots? Absolutely. But like, I don't view this draft as like make or break for this season. I think it's th- this draft is more about getting players that you feel comfortable can develop into long term contributors down the road and not necessarily this season because your roster is already in a pretty good spot. Yeah. What they have to avoid, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but what they do have to avoid is they had a similar thing in the 2012 draft where it's like, this team's set. And then the 2012 draft was a total disaster. And I think it played into a played a significant role in why uh, that team went downhill so quickly. So the draft definitely matters for the coming seasons. Maybe yeah. not so much this year, but yeah, no, that, I mean, that's what, yeah, I, I said that, but like, even still, you have a lot of these guys locked up. Like you're going to have a lot of your key guys locked up contractually. Yes. Yes. So that's all I'm saying. They can't, they can't, they can't whiff the draft, but it's definitely not like, oh man, they need to nail this one. Well, no, they don't yeah. need to find starters in this draft, like immediate starters. Yes. yes. That's kind think- of my point. This may be a conversation for another day, but I'm wondering if they they wind up taking more like traitsy guys in this trap. Yeah, they could just upside just big guys. fast dudes and see if they can play them. Yeah, just just a sparked up class, dude. So sparked up, just rocked <laughs> up class quicker than fast. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think. Yeah, I think they could do that. I mean, it ultimately, like, they need interior linemen. They could use pass rushers always. And, and yeah, like, one spot we didn't really talk about was defensive end opposite Nick Bosa. And, you know, Samson Ebukam, only four and a half sacks in the regular season, but he had a sack in each of their playoff games, or at least half a sack in each of their playoff games. And he was awesome over the final, like, eight or nine games. Yeah. It took him a while to get rolling, but once he got rolling, he was really, really good. Yeah, so he, you know, that that's I think in an ideal world Samson Ebukam's probably your like number 3 defensive end. Mm-hmm. But if you do draft somebody who could potentially be your two 
your your number two defensive end to to potentially replace D Ford, and you have Ebukam, you know, sort of rotating with that person. I think you're fine. And ultimately, I think the 49ers are going to do that. Like if I were to bet which position they address in round two in the draft, I think I would put edge rusher first because I believe that they could that I believe that they believe that they could find guards later and wouldn't necessarily need to invest a second round pick in a guard for the second straight year, particularly with Jalen Moore on the roster. But mm-hmm. so I, I think they might be able to solve potentially as long as they find the right guy, their edge rusher. Um you know, that, that need for depth at edge rusher in the second round. And as our guy, Nick sent, sent the, yeah. sent the tweet into, uh, into the group chat saying, you know, or with Daniel Jeremiah saying that there are 20 edge rushers that he really likes in this class. If there are 20, man, they might be able to get a couple of those guys. I've, um, I've heard and, the same thing about this year's edge depth. Right. That's what I'm talking about. I know. I was saying I've heard the same thing. Oh, you've heard the same thing. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We all. Yeah. It's widely known. <laughs> Any news on the cornerback class? I think it's sim- similarly <laughs> deep, but I think the fact that they got Traverius Ward after taking Ambry Thomas and, and Diamador Lador last year, I think corner is not going to be the most pressing if they have not that they shouldn't draft it, but I think Right. I think edge rushers has to, would you say, do you agree with me that edge rusher is probably the favorite in terms of like, if you were to say what position, if you were trying to bet on what position they would take in the second round, would you say edge rusher is a favorite? Yes. I think so too. Yes, I think so. I think offensive line is their top need, but if I'm betting on what they're going to pick, I think it's edge. All caps. <laughs> that's that's the only kind of edge there is. Yeah. Um, uh, the The... The one, the one way I think that changes is if like, if like a really good corner falls that far to 61, like if something happens in a, in a corner falls or I think they're going to be in the mindset because of what you laid out about this draft and its importance to this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just like, Hey, this awesome player fell, forget position and they're going to take them. Oh yeah. Whether it's a receiver or maybe not a running back, but like whether it's a receiver or a tight end or something, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if, if they wind up going a little bit off the beaten path, but if I'm betting on it, I, you're right. I'm, I'm betting on edge. Yeah. And maybe it's a safety. Um, but yeah, maybe it's a nickel corner. Yeah. But I think a sneaky one might be tackle. Right. Like if you're yeah. not sure, because Mike McGlinchey is going into the fifth year, his fifth year option season um, mm-hmm. coming off the torn quad, like you might want a little bit of insurance there. But again, I think the 49ers do feel pretty good about Jalen Moore. I know they say they love Colton McKivitz, who was a gold helmet guy leading into his draft. Um, You know, I, I think for right now they feel OK about their tackle depth. But if they're like, yeah, we're we're probably not going to sign resign Mike McGlinchey or at least pay him a, a huge amount. Maybe they start thinking about that position. And given that it is a premium position, maybe that's a spot they think about in round two. And maybe that, maybe they find an, an offensive lineman who part of his value is like, he can play tackle and guard and maybe starts off, you know, competing with Daniel Brunskill for that guard spot. And then maybe eventually kicks out to replace Mike McGlinchey if the 49ers decide not to bring McGlinchey back. Right. Um, but ultimately I still think edge rusher should is, should be the betting favorite. I know it, they should take the best player available or whatever and shouldn't just draft for need, but if you're just looking at 
this draft class and, and how it might line up, I think edge rusher would be a safe bet. And I think they can do both with best player available and hitting a need. Right. It's all about value, Kyle. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, uh, we can dive into the draft a little bit further. That's actually coming up in like three weeks, a little over three weeks. So you want to talk about Frank Gore? Sure. Frank Gore announced on the SF Niners podcast that he's going to sign a one-day contract with the 49ers eventually to retire as a 49er and then retire, which I felt like it was going to be one of those things where we were sitting here in like 2028 and then Frank Gore finally announced his retirement. You're kind of like, wait, he hadn't done that yet. <laughs> um, but I'm, 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 I'm glad it's finally happening, and that he's not going to try and hold on for one more year. It's always a little tough, particularly in these sports that are physical, like football. I mean, you some sometimes see it with boxing, and oddly enough, Frank Gore has dabbled in boxing a little bit. But like, you really don't love to see when guys hold on too long. And, and you can really see their body sort of take a beating. And not mm-hmm. that, that that's what Frank Gore's done, because I think one of his everlasting traits is his ability to avoid punishment, right? Like for a running back, he was always really good at avoiding big hits, taking the yards that were there and ultimately living mm-hmm. to fight another down. Um, and if it meant getting two yards instead of, you know, he, he took – he took whatever yardage he could get, but he was content with taking two yards if that's all that the play allowed for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that ultimately is one of the biggest reasons why he was able to last for as long as he did is because he he knew when to avoid and, and how to avoid all those big hits. Um, but as somebody, like, I got to cover Frank for two seasons. Uh, my first year was 2013, and... I mean, I was, you know, when I first started covering the 49ers, I didn't, I didn't know anything about anything really. I was just kind of there <laughs> as a fly on the wall, just sort of observing and and writing about what I saw. And I was, you know, too nervous to ask questions in press conferences because there were guys who had been in, you know, I was mid twenties and there are guys who have been covering the team for as long as I've been alive. Um, but one thing that, that stood out to me about those early seasons was that you know, Frank Gore was super helpful to me and answered que- answered my questions when I did have them and talked to me on and off the record and, and helped me become more informed and, and a better reporter just by just by, you know, being honest and, and telling me how it was and, and having those real conversations that 
as reporters covering a team that you always sort of want to have because you have to sift through so much bullshit as a reporter, especially in press conferences. And that's one of the reasons why I despise these Zoom press conferences so much is because it's not you, you don't have personal interaction and everybody feels like everything they're saying is being broadcast to you know thousands of fans live. And, and that's exactly what's happening with Zoom, whereas when you're in a locker room setting and you can talk to these guys face to face and have a conversation that's just between you, him and the recorder, and it's not being broadcast live. You're, you're, and even off the record too, like no recorder involved and knowing that that what, what the players are saying is not going to be in your story or whatever, you're able to have much more authentic conversations. And Frank Gore was one of those people who would have those authentic conversations and he would have them with me when I was brand new and didn't know anything about anything. And so I, I always appreciated that about him. Um, he's one of the only players that's uh, that that's, you know, had that not only players, but he, when I think about, well, like if you were to ask me which player over the years had the best relationship with the media and was the most honest with the media um, during his time there, I think to a man, to, to a, a, a other people on the beat who who've covered the team much longer than I have, they would, they would put Frank Gore way up there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that authenticity is, is a reason why he's so endeared by the fan base, by the media, but also by the organization because they really value his input. Um, and it sounds like if um, you know, if you read what Matt Barrows has, has been reporting that uh, it sounds like Gore is going to be in the front office and none of this is really a surprise. We, you know, we've, we've all kind of suspected that Gore would be either in player engagement uh, development, you know, assistance, running backs, coach, whatever he, he would have some sort of role within the organization. And, and it's been sort of assumed for a while that he would sign a one day contract with the 49ers. So he could officially retire as a member of the 49ers um, and have a press conference and, and have, you know, everybody in the Bay area, right. Glowing things about him, which will happen at some point this off season. But no, aside from as how good of a football player he was and how much he meant to the fan base, like my experience of Frank Gore was nothing but positive and, and I'm happy for him that he's had such a long career. Um, and I hope he goes to the hall of fame. I don't have a vote, but um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll get in given that he's a third leading rusher all time. Um, but I'm sure you have, you have a, you know, a, a good account of what Frank Gore meant to you as a longtime observer of the 49ers too. Yeah. Uh, real quick on the hall of fame note, if somebody has a anti Frank Gore hall of fame, take, um, put it in a box and then stick the box up your ass. <laughs> um, eloquently. I said. just, yeah, thank you. Uh, if you play running back for 16 years in the NFL in this era, like, and you're productive like he was 12 straight years of 1200 yards from scrimmage and, and all that jazz uh, you're in like, you're the third leading rusher of all time. You have 16,000 rushing yards. You're in like you averaged a thousand yards a year for 16 years. That's crazy talk. Yeah. He's it's really good. It's really good. I think he's a hall of famer. I do think there's something like if, if there is a case against Frank Gore's hall of fame candidacy, Get your box ready, Chris. I, I, it, if, if you want something to put in your box, um, <laughs> it is, it is that the, like when, when the people say like, well, was Frank Gore, like how many years was Frank Gore, like a top four running back in the league? And mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't like gone through each year to like figure it out, but like, I understand that point, but I would also say 
you know, like he was he was in an era with Ladanian Tomlinson right. and Adrian Peterson and some other really good dudes. And I wouldn't necessarily hold that back against him because he he's sort of like the last of a dying breed in that he was the ultimate longevity running back in a time that the NFL was transitioning from having those bell cow running backs towards right. every team having four running backs and, and throwing the ball 40 times a game. For, for me, Frank Gore was, cause I, you know, grew up rooting for the 49ers and in 2006, so he's drafted in 05. In 2006, his second year, the 49ers were abysmal. They were really bad. But Frank Gore was awesome. And he was awesome in 07 and 08 and 09. He was, he was just consistently really good when the team was really not. And whether it was JT O'Sullivan or Sean Hill or Alex Smith or Troy Smith, like you just knew number 21 was going to be back there churning out yards. And he was going to do so while very clearly loving the sport. And, and I think it felt like Frank Gore appreciated fans in the same way that fans appreciated him, which is super rare. And I think that was, was part of what was so endearing about him. And then, you know, as he kind of started to age into 2011, 2012, he was the focal point of an offense that went to three straight NFC championship games at a point where his career was supposed to be going on the, on the downturn. So I just, what he did was remarkable. And the fact that he was so good when they were so bad, and then he continued to be good when they finally got good. And then to finish his career, the way he did as the Niners all time leading rusher, he had a huge game in that 2014 season finale against Arizona at Levi's. He does a lap around the stadium after it was just a, it was just a perfect career outside of not winning a ring. But outside of that, like <laughs> what, I don't know what more you want from a, from a player um, on, on the team that you either root for or cover or observe. Like he was the, the, you know, you always say a pros pro he was that. And he was also an excellent player. Like, it just if every if if every NFL player had a had the 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 league would be better if any if every NFL player approached the game the way Frank Gore did. Yeah. And not to be like a football hipster who loves this type of stuff, but like one of my favorite things about Frank Gore was just his willingness to in like blitz pickup to just knock dudes on their ass. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. linebackers and blitzing safeties, like that was a, a significant part of what made him good. Like when mm-hmm. Frank Gore was playing a lot, he was mo- he was often the best blocking running back in the league. And mm-hmm. like he would flatten dudes and you'd hear stories. I forget what year it was, but anybody listening can can Google this. And I think it's been written about plenty, but those practice, those joint practices back in the, it had to be at, you know, in Frank's second or third training camp when they would have joint practices with the Raiders. And he was just destroying Raiders linebackers and safeties and blitz pickup drills to, to the point where it was like, you know, fights would almost break out. Right. Or like fights did break out because Frank Orr was just flatbacking these dudes who were mm-hmm. bigger than him. 
right? And it was always, you know, what one one of the things that I enjoy most about training camp is just the opportunity to see things on the practice field that you won't see during games. And like early on, when I first started covering the 49ers, like some of my favorite drills during camp would be like watching Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis go against Frank Gore and blitz pickup. And it was like, he would stonewall those dudes just as often as they would beat him. Right. Like, and these are, these were two of the best linebackers in the sport. And Frank Gore, you know, was an elite running back, but he wasn't viewed among his positional peers the way that, that Willis and, and Bowman were but he was their equal, right? Like that, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing I think people, people might not understand about Frank Gore. When you look at those Niners teams and all the elite defensive players that they had, like Frank Gore was viewed on the same, like at the same level as a lot of those defensive players that they had just because of who he was, how he approached the game, like you said, and just how impactful he would be in ways that, you know, aren't necessarily fantasy football stats, but like, he would just knock these linebackers on their asses. And there's a lot of value to that because if you, if you take away a defense's ability to blitz, that can really help. Right. Or if they do blitz and you pick it up, then, then there's even more space. It's not defended downfield that, that you can take advantage of. Right. So it's, it was, you know, Frank Gore and, you know, Joe Staley said this a bunch of times, but just like one of the most complete football players I think I've covered um, and you know, I've, I've covered the team since 2013, so I'm not some like NFL lifer, like a lot of my colleagues are, but like, just in terms of being a complete football player from everything off the field to on the field, to blocking, to running with the ball, um, to being a great teammate, like he is all those things that, um, that I think anybody would want to have in their locker room. And, and that's why he's so revered. And, and that's one of the big reasons why you should probably go to the hall of fame. You just called a bunch of your colleagues on the 49ers beat old. Yeah, I'll do that to their face. I'm going to go see. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to see Mayoko later today. And, that you know, they give me grief and, and whatnot. But I remind them that they're middle aged men and I'm I'm significantly in your prime. Younger. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still in my prime. Yeah, totally. And like not um, not for like athlete years, but like prime, like you know, career years while they're, you know, right. Not that they're not that they're aging out, but they're definitely aging elder statesmen. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did not appreciate (laughs) speaking of, um, being old. I did not appreciate your shot at my shoes on Instagram. Um, it was a post about, uh, men that wear new balance shoes and it was not a flattering post. I currently am wearing some new balance shoes. That's why I sent it to you. They're New Balance skate shoes. They're delightful. Um, I like them very much. They don't hurt my feet, which is what I'm going for. <laughs> and um, honestly, don't appreciate it, man. I mean, yeah, no, know, it's fine. I mean, if you want to wear New Balances, I've, that's certainly a choice that you can make. I've been saying I'm not a shoe guy. What do you want from me? No, that's fine. I just remember you bragging about your New Balances, and I was like, okay, they're awesome. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of my new balances. I'm actually, my plan is to go buy like two or three more pairs of these. Okay. Just in different colors. Those that's certainly my, a choice my, you can make. These are my beater pair. And then uh, I'll have other ones that I keep nicer. Good. Your, your, okay. res- your response was good. I forget exactly what the post was, but it was something about like girls liking dudes until they see he's wearing new balances or something. And then your response was very appropriate. And it was like, sorry, I missed this because I'm looking through my wedding photos. <laughs> Which is funny. Yeah. Which That's is just, funny. Uh, I I think I can use that joke like for one more week, and then it's and then it's over. But 
Yeah, the statute of limitations on that one isn't super long. I would say you could go longer than that, though. I would say you can use that until your honeymoon. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Like, like so you, you can be you can be a newlywed until your honeymoon. I would say if I were making the rules, that's like you're, like once you're back from your honeymoon, you're no longer newlywed. Okay, I like that. I'm in on that rule. Is that fair? Yeah, because your 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 honeymoon's what two months after your wedding or a month and a half? Yeah, a month and a half. Yeah. I think that's this fair. is good content. Yeah, this is really good content. Tweet <laughs> Kyle. Tweet Kyle if you have a different take on on um, the statute of limitations on being called a newlywed. Hey, New Balance, sponsor the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they wanted to sponsor the pod, I would have zero objections. I'm I've worn one pair of New Balance. I bought one pair of New Balance shoes in the last like five years, and I just was they. I don't know. They they look cooler in the pictures online than than when I had them in person and and wore them a few times. I gotta tell you, they're very comfortable. Uh, I enjoy my. No, never mind. I'm not gonna do a whole. Got it. Got to get some Adidas boost for you, my man. I'll do a. I'll do a pitch if if anybody wants to spot. <laughs> if any shoe company wants to sponsor, I'm not picky. I'll wear whatever. <laughs> I'm All wearing right. my uh, my Nike SBs, my Dunk SBs that I probably got in 2012. Hell yeah, dude! Yeah, love the Nike the Dunk chicken. SBs. Yeah, big big Dunk SB guy. Yeah, who's not? You know, Bucky Lassick. Am I right? <laughs> Is he more Osiris? Diet. I'm going to go do some pop shove. It's in these. <laughs> All right. Uh, he's Chris. I'm Kyle. Subscribe, rate, review if you have not. Um, we really appreciate that. And we will talk to you guys next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.